0: Good morning. It's my first Easter Sunday on this side of the pulpit. As campus ministers, we always get asked to preach the Sunday after Christmas and the Sunday after Easter, but never on Christmas or on Easter. So this is a really exciting day for me. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, And as I thought about, what's it going to be like on this side? I've been on that side a bunch of times. What am I going to do? What should I bring? And, And here's what I thought. I thought about the many Sunday mornings, Easter Sunday mornings, that I spent out there growing up. Uh, I came to church every Easter Sunday morning, I'm pretty sure, of my life up through 20 years old. And I sat through sermons and worship services that were beautiful, and I enjoyed them. I loved them. I thought they were wonderful. And I heard a lot about this Jesus and how on Easter Sunday morning, he got up from the dead and I always thought, man, that is great for Jesus. That is so cool that he did that. And then the sermon would be over and we would sing the final song and I would go and get in the car and we would go home and I would eat a bunch of ham and deviled eggs and pineapple cake and Easter was over. What never sank into me for the first time 19 or 20 times that I sat through an Easter service was what in the world Jesus Christ's resurrection had to do with me. So that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about what Jesus' resurrection has to do with me and with you, because I think that it has everything to do with us. So I'm going to read a passage of Scripture. I don't think it's a traditional Easter passage, but it's a passage that talks a lot about Jesus getting up from the dead and what it means for us. So I'm going to read to us from the book of Romans, and I'm going to read... Romans chapter six, verses one through 14. And before I read it, let me remind you that this is God's word. And we have it because God loves us and he wants us to know him. And it is absolutely true. So listen to this. He lives. He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. but under grace. Please pray with me. Lord, what amazing words we have before us. That you, Lord Jesus, have brought life out of death and that that doesn't just apply to you, but it applies to those of us who are in you. Lord, help us to understand this. Help us to apply this. Help us to believe it. And Lord, change us by this powerful word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So what does the resurrection of Jesus have to do with us. I want us to see three things this morning from this passage, three ways that the resurrection has to do with us. The first thing I want us to see about the resurrection is that the resurrection is participatory. All right, I'm going to use some big-ish words, but I'm going to explain them. It's participatory. Secondly, I want us to see that the resurrection of Jesus is emancipating. And thirdly, I want us to see that the resurrection of Jesus is empowering. That's where I'm going this morning. First, the resurrection of Jesus is participatory. And what that means, what it means to say that the resurrection of Jesus is participatory is to say that we who are in him participate in it. It is not, Jesus' resurrection is not as I thought for the first 19 times that I sat through Easter services. It's not just something that happened to Jesus. It is something that we are invited to experience with him. The resurrection did in fact happen. In history, it it really did happen in a time and in a place, but not just in history. The passage tells us that we're invited into it. Look at verses 3 and 4. It says Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And what Paul is talking about when he's talking about being baptized into Jesus, he's talking about believing into Jesus, becoming a part, identified with Jesus by faith, becoming identified with Him. And if we have been baptized with Him into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And what this is telling us is that if you have believed in Jesus, that somehow, outside of the confines of space and time, when you believe in him, you are united to him. United, it says that in verse 5. If we have been united with him in a death like his connected to him in some spiritual and real way, then we have participated in his death and in his resurrection. A very real spiritual change has happened in us. It is not as if As we sometimes say, only our sin was nailed to the cross. It's true that when Jesus was nailed to the cross, our sin was nailed to the cross. But what the passage says is that we ourselves were nailed to the cross if we have believed in him. We were with him on the cross, participating in his death and in his burial, and then on the third day in his resurrection. As 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Behold, the, new, the old has passed away, and the new has come. If anyone has believed in Christ, the old has passed away, and the new has come. The cross is not something just, that just happened out there a long time ago in Israel. The resurrection is not just something that is old. The resurrection is something that we, by faith, participate in with Jesus, and it makes us new. There's an old story about one of the greatest Christians, if you can say such a thing, to ever live, a man named Augustine, who lived over 1,500 years ago. He was one of the great early saints in the church, and in early in his life, Augustine was what you might want to call a party boy. He was rich, and he liked to have a good time. And he was spending his, his time and his money and his resources pursuing fun and having a lot of it. But by God's grace, Augustine heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he believed into Jesus and was united with Jesus, going through, experiencing, being baptized into his death and resurrection. And Augustine got a new identity, a new self, and it changed him completely. And he was no longer the party boy that was just trying to have a good time. He became one of the great leaders of the early church and one of the greatest thinkers that the church has ever known. And one day, when Augustine was walking down the street, one of his old girlfriends saw him. And she cried out to him, Augustine, Augustine! And Augustine just kept on walking. She was a little bit confused and she started to follow him. Augustine, he wouldn't turn around. She ran up to him and tapped him on the shoulder and said, Augustine, it's me. And he finally stopped and turned and said, yes, but it's not me. Augustine had been raised with Christ. He had been given a new identity. He was a new creation. And if you are here and you are weighed down by your sin, if there are things about you that you know are wrong, The gospel has, Jesus has very good news for you. What this passage says is that the worst parts of you, the bits of you that cause you to feel shame, do not define you. If you believe into Jesus, you are united to him in his death and in his resurrection, and he gives you a new identity, an identity that is connected to him in his resurrected life. Resurrection means that if you believe in Jesus, your sin does not define you. But that is not all it means. The resurrection matters because it is participatory, but it also matters because it is emancipating. What that means is that Jesus' resurrection sets us free. Now, I want to get into that a little bit because I think this is a big one. Uh, I see this on campus. You know, I work with college students. I have worked with college students for the past seven years, and I see this in them, but I also see it in me. We tend to think that we are very free. We tend to think that the things that we like and the things that we desire and who we are is up to us, and we're the ones who decide what those things are going to be. But it's really not all that true. I bumped into this recently when uh, my wife and I developed a dream. We started, we actually right now have been living with my in-laws for the past four months. Ever since we moved from North Carolina to South Carolina, Greenville, South Carolina to take up the work of ministry at Furman, uh, we've been looking for a house to live in and hadn't been able to find one. And we've been dreaming for the past four months about building a barn dominium. I don't know if any of you people know what a barn dominium is, maybe a few, but let me tell you, it's awesome. It's basically a barn that you make into a house and live in. And this dream became a fantasy for us uh, we desire to build this barn on some land and have some chickens and some cows and let our children run and frolic across the fields and live this, this amazing dream. And we started to research what it would take to build a Barn Dominium and live in one. And uh, we, we started watching all these YouTube videos and, and following all these people on Instagram who have done this. This, this is a thing. And after we had spent a couple of weeks looking into this, I noticed something. I said to my wife, you realize that everybody who is doing this is exactly like us? They're all Christians. I don't know why Christians love barn dominiums, but they all homeschool, and so do we. They're all into sustainable, organic farming agriculture and desire to eat whole foods. And we're totally into that. The, thing, the kicker, the thing that actually sparked the thought was that all of them have this big metal water filter sitting next to their sink that costs like way too much money that you filter your tap water through that makes it pure. And we all have it. And I realized that this dream that we have is a fine dream, it's a good dream, but it's a dream that's shared by people who are just like us. It's not such an original idea. We've been influenced by the people we follow on social media, by the books that we read, by the friends that we have, by the the shows that we watch. All of that influences us and it affects what we want It affects our will. What the Bible says, what it teaches from cover to cover, is that if humans are anything, we are easily influenced. And the biggest influence on us in our natural state is sin. This passage actually says in verse... Six, it points to it that we are enslaved by sin apart from Christ. In verse 12, it also says that that sin can make you obey its passions. We like to believe that we're free, that we get to decide what rules we're going to break and what rules we're not. But what the Bible says is that human beings are free. Slaves to sin, at birth. What the passage also tells us is that if you have participated in Jesus' death and His resurrection, that that slavery has been broken. Look at what it says in verse 13. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. The resurrection sets us free. It enables our wills to desire good things, things that we were created for. That's what it means to be free. It breaks the tyranny that sin has over us. The Emancipation Proclamation went into effect on January 1st of 1863. President Lincoln issued it. It was declared, read publicly. But for years, slavery still held hundreds of thousands, millions of men and women and children in bondage. That was slowly broken as the Union Army made its way through the South and set free those who were in slavery. But Texas was one of the last places that held on. It was far out there in the West, and the Union Armies were were not very close. And and so by 1865, by June of 1865, there were still over 250,000 people living in bondage to sin. Two and a half years after those people had been declared free, they were still enslaved. But on June 19th of 1865, General Gordon rode into Galveston, Texas with 2,000 federal troops And he climbed up the staircase and stood on the balcony at the Ashton Villa Hotel, looking over the town square, and people came out to see what he was going to say. And this is what he said. The people of Texas are informed that in accordance with a proclamation from the executive of the United States, all slaves are free. This involves an absolute equality of personal rights and rights of property between former masters and slaves and the connection heretofore existing between them becomes that between employer and hired labor. When General Gordon showed up The proclamation went from something that someone, the Emancipation Proclamation went from something that someone had said far away to a present reality for those slaves. And when Jesus got up from the dead, the proclamation that God was gonna do something about our sin that he had promised long ago in Genesis 3 in Isaiah 53, all throughout the Old Testament, it became a present reality that rolls into the present today. If you are in Christ, sin has no dominion over you. You are freed from it. If you are here and you feel stuck, if you have been putting off dealing with the parts of you that you know are messed up. Here today, that Jesus got up from the dead to set you free. You're free indeed if you believe in him. The resurrection means if you are in Christ, that sin does not control you. That's good news. We also have the, the, the last thing I want us to see, last point here. Emancipation means part, participation. It is participatory. We are connected to it intimately. It means emancipation. It's emancipating. We are set free. And the, the resurrection is empowering This is important because even though it's true that the dominion of sin has been broken and we are no longer slaves to sin that we still feel a struggle of sin's presence in our life I Saw this. I see it in my life all the time, but I saw this uh, demonstrated. I thought beautifully in my young son Simon. He's not so young anymore. He's eight now and getting big. But back when he was about four years old, we were sitting at the dinner table, and Simon got a thoughtful look on his face, and he said, "You know, Dad." you know what I'm going to do? And I said, what, Simon, what are you going to do? And he said, I'm going to get a knife and I'm going to cut Jesus out of my heart. And I said, why would you want to do that, son? And he said, because then I could do whatever I want. And I feel that. We all feel that. Those of us who have come from death to life, those of us who have been set free from the tyranny of sin, still have the, what's called the remnant of sin at work in our flesh that makes us want to do what we want to do. But the resurrection gives us the power to fight against that sin that sticks so close to us. It gives us that power in two ways, according to the passage. In verse 13, it says, do not present your members to sin as instruments of righteousness. What that's saying is, we don't have to give ourselves over to sin. We've been empowered to put off the sin that clings closely to us. And then it goes on to say, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. So we've been empowered to live righteously. And what that means is we've been empowered to live in such a way that gives glory to God and blesses our neighbors. That's what the resurrection does for us. It empowers us. It gives us resurrection power to put off sin and to put on righteousness so that we can give glory to God and be a blessing to the people around us. I was meeting with a student a couple years ago when I was a campus minister at ECU. And uh, he, he wanted to meet with me because... Uh, he was feeling guilty and not right about something he had done. And when we sat down, uh, he just, he opened up and he said, "Tom, I just want to I want to talk to you about something. I, last night, some friends came over, and I just got hammered drunk. That's how college students say it. Got hammered drunk, and." He felt, he felt guilty about it. I could tell it was unsettling. So I probed a little bit and I said, well, why did you do that? And this guy said, I guess that's, that's just who I am. I'm a sinner. See, he had been around RUF for a little while and he thought that was the right answer. What I said to him was no. No. Now, this guy professed to be a believer in Christ. And I opened up this passage in Romans chapter 6, and we read it together. And I said, if you are in Christ, you are not fundamentally, at your core, a sinner. Now, there's a sense in which you're a sinner, yes. But what the passage says is that in your core, in your essence, who you are is you are in union with Jesus. You have a new identity in him. You've participated in his resurrection. Not only that, you have been set free from the tyranny of sin. That sin cannot make you do what it wants you to do. You are not helpless. And three, you are empowered to put that sin off. And to walk in righteousness, the resurrection of Jesus has everything to do with us. The resurrection of Jesus, because we participate in it, means that sin does not define us. The resurrection of Jesus, because it's emancipating, it means that that sin does not control us. And the resurrection of Jesus, because it's empowering, means that sin does not disable us. We have resurrection life because Jesus got up from the dead. So I would implore you, whether for the first time or for the 10,000th time, to believe Believe that he did it and believe that it was for you and you will have resurrection life now and forever. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you that you did get up from the dead physically, really, never to be conquered by death again, but to live forever, and that you have given that resurrection life to us by your grace, and we receive it through faith. Lord, I pray that you would encourage us this morning, that resurrection life is a present reality now and will continue to be forever. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.